to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. But not only am I joined by Pastor King, uh, tonight we have a guest with us today. Um, we have with us Pastor Roberto Rojas of Zion Luther Evangelical Lutheran Church in Winter Garden, who also happens to be uh, my pastor. So we're very pleased to have him on uh, with us tonight. Welcome. Good to see you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good. Tonight we're looking at the readings for the second Sunday in Advent, uh, specifically the gospel reading. Uh, before we do that, I should mention tonight's episode is pre-recorded. We're not live as we normally are, so we won't be able to interact with your, your chats uh, on the broadcast. However, either Pastor King or myself or both will probably be in the chat uh, as this airs on Wednesday at our normal time. And so we'll be addressing questions then or on the next episode, which either. Yeah, we'll try to works. we'll try to be there and we'll definitely look at look at things and you can always send us an email, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that, Lutheran reflections at gmail.com. That email. is right there on the screen. Perfect. So, there it is. Lutheran reflections at gmail.com for those listening only. All right, uh, shall we jump into the reading for tonight? Let's jump in. Okay, so it is Luke 21, 25 to 36. <clears throat> Jesus said, There will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity, because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. Great. Thank you, Pastor King. You're welcome. So last week, we looked at some of the Old Testament prophecies that were prophesying for uh, Christ's first coming. Uh, but now our gears are shifting a little bit. Uh, this text obviously isn't about Christ's first coming. We're now talking about his second coming. Right? No, it's interesting that, uh, you know, the Bible talks about Jesus as the coming one regarding his first coming. And the, the old, our Old Testament friends were waiting for the coming one. And, well, he did indeed come. Uh, born as the baby of Bethlehem, and and now we're waiting for him to come again. So he he's still he's still the coming one, even though he did it. Right. It's kind of weird, but he is referred to that way. So. Right. 
And uh, Jesus here gives us some things we ought to expect that kind of coincide with this second coming. So second coming looks quite a bit different than the first coming. Uh, we, we have a lot of scary things happening here. And um, I think at first glance, uh, probably the questions that most people have when approaching this text are the nature of these different signs that Jesus is describing here. Um, so let's, let's first talk about like what they actually are. Are these like, uh, are these going to be supernatural events or are these more natural, like solar and lunar eclipses? I I've heard both views kind of be espoused here. Pastor Rojas, you, you had some thoughts about the signs in the heavens at his first coming. Yeah. So, um, when it comes to the question of whether these things are natural or supernatural, um, you know, we can kind of draw a parallel to his first coming and the star that uh, was shining over Bethlehem and that the Magi followed. And with, with that event, I, I know that there are three theories and you can kind of take any one of these theories and still remain a Lutheran, so it's not breaking fellowship. But the three uh, theories are, one is that... Um, that uh, God rearranged the heavens and he moved the stars to uh, over Bethlehem for that specific night. So it was a kind of a supernatural thing. It wasn't in the natural order of things. Uh, the other idea is, the, other, the second theory is that um, this is the skies being kind of torn open and we see a glimpse of heaven. So we see the host of heaven and that's kind of what's shining there in the night. And why we why we get hear the angels and things, right? Right. So that's uh, yeah, that's you know, the, you have to kind of work out the timing there. But that's a, a second theory on it. Uh, the third theory is that it just kind of happened naturally, and that it that was just the constellation for that time. Uh, of the three theories, my uh, the one I think is most likely, and the one that I I think subscribe to, is a third one which at first kind of seems rationalistic and very kind of naturalistic to say, oh, it's just normal. It was going to happen anyway. But um, the, the reason I think that is because of Galatians 4, 4, when it says that when the fullness of time had come, and I, I th Christ sent forth his, his only begotten Son. What, what I imagine there is that God has... Uh, then ordained all of creation around this one event. That the very birth of Christ is not an afterthought. It's not something he had to rearrange the heavens for, but it's something that he created and prepared beforehand when he first put the stars in the heaven um, so that they would line up on that very night for him. That, um, if, if I may, it's an interesting point you make because speaking with a builder many, many years ago about architectural design and housing, it's very difficult to put stairs in a house as far as the design goes. And one architect had stated, you know what? I tell my students, put the stairs in first and then design the house around it. Mm. And, and, and that's yeah. kind of what you're saying is that God put that moment in yep. first and then designed everything else around it. Yeah. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, I, I think it's such a beautiful explanation, especially, and it connects so well with 
election, that God had this in mind. This was not plan B. It, it's like a jeweler who creates, uh, makes a ring. He has the diamond and then he creates the setting around it for that diamond, right? And, and the diamond here is the life of Christ in all of history. He says, this is the fullness of time is the way the scriptures speak. And then everything else points to it and flows from it. Um, I, I love that analogy there with the stairs and uh, architecture. That's great. And people I'm, also use the the stars to to judge time and seasons too. So when Galatians four four says in the fullness of time, it it was right. Yeah, and I, I'm partial to that explanation myself for the Epiphany star. Like, there's a number of different reasons. There, there's one guy who's done some research and postulated it might be like a conjunction between Venus, Jupiter, and Regulus. And there's a lot of symbolism going on there. You you have like Venus representing virginity. And Regulus is known as like the king star. And Jupiter has its own symbolism that kind of goes along with it. And so it, it could certainly be something like that. That also might be an explanation for why uh, we don't see secular astronomers noting this anywhere outside of scripture. That's one criti uh, criticism uh, non-Christians have leveraged against the Epiphany star narrative is that if this was some brilliant, like crazy event happening in the sky, it, we should see it noted elsewhere in other different secular histories and whatnot. Yeah. And we don't see anything coming up around that time. And so if it was a natural occurrence, similar to the one you're describing, that could be also an explanation for why we don't see it in, in secular histories. And perhaps yeah. the Magi were, were best positioned to know what to look for as far as what was going on in the night sky in regard to uh, the Savior being born. Hmm. So if... Now yeah, oh, if, if say, then uh, we have a naturalistic explanation for the heavenly signs of the first coming, do we apply that same logic here to the second coming? I would say no. I think this is, this is a totally different thing. And Luke 21 is talking about something that is catastrophic, cataclysmic. It's absolute bedlam here. Um, and if you look at verse 27... Um, this is the distinction. This is the, the very difference between his first advent and his second one. His first advent is in humility and lowliness and gentleness, uh, that he would be rejected, that he would be despised. But verse 27 talks about his second advent. You'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Mm. Right. Um, so this is very, very different from uh, his incarnation. Uh, yet he, as he will come, again, in his flesh, uh, this is going to be in all of his majesty and splendor. Uh, but another thing that we see here is verse 26. Um, we see that, you know, the, the verse 25, we see there's signs and sun, moon, and stars, distress on the earth, nations, so on and so forth, the waves and the sea. But the cause of all of this is found in verse 26, which is, says, for the powers of the heavens, the because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And like I, I've said this before, I, we've seen the earthquake, but I don't think we've ever seen the heavens quake. Right. And that this is not going to be some little constellation that we, we have to look out for with a telescope and try and guess when Christ is returning. This is going to be obvious. And we can see this in the text that people are going to see this with their naked eyes, uh, with, with a naked eye to, that they're in fear. Uh, with foreboding of what they know is coming upon the world. Yeah, see, his first coming was all about starting his kingdom of grace, wasn't it? 
and this second coming is starting his kingdom of glory for for all creation. It's a cha- right. it's a change. It, it's it's an entrance of uh, it's it's a shift in how Christ is uh, well how we view him and maybe how the world views him and his right. first humble beginnings. People didn't even really notice. Right. This one this one they can't miss. <laughs> right. Yeah. And this is important because this kind of pushes back against some of the people who try to look for specific signs in like the lunar eclipses that happen regularly. So like when I was at Liberty, there would be all kinds of students who would try to like see what was going on in Jerusalem and see if there were any big events that they can coincide with the lunar eclipses that were happening. And it would cause people to always believe that like the return of the Lord was coming like sometime in the next year or two. And of course, we know how the different uh, end, of, end times prophecies uh, have shook out recently. Um, and so, yeah, it, it pushes back on those ideas as well, which I think is good. Okay. Verse 28 is interesting too, isn't it? Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Yeah, this brings us to the second question I had regarding this first section. It seems there are two schools of thought with these different signs and wonders that'll be happening. It seems like some people believe that these are signs that are going to directly accompany Christ's second coming. Like they'll all happen like simultaneously when Christ returns. And then there are some people who believe that these are signs that will give us some warning ahead of time of Christ's second coming. I was wondering, uh, hoping to get your opinions on that. So if I stay silent, Pastor Rojas will feel impelled to speak. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, I, what I what I think is happening. I mean, um, there are earthquakes, there are signs in the world, nations rising against nation, kingdom against kingdoms, great earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilences. Uh, this is all in chapter twenty-one, but that's earlier. That's starting at verse ten. And so, yes, those things have been happening, and that has ushered in uh, the end times. And every earthquake, every flood we see, every disaster should be a reminder to us that, look, the, the end, we're in the end times. This is it. We're not waiting for an event to happen. This, this is it. However, this text is, is very different. And I don't think this text, uh, Luke chapter 21, 25 through 36, I don't think this is about that last days, plural, but about the last day, singular, that this is one event that stands apart from all of the other earthquakes, all of the other famines and pestilences, which th- those things take time to develop and kingdoms rise against nations that, that develops over time. There's animosity between nations. But this one, uh, look, look at this text. People are fainting with fear and foreboding for what is, I mean, the, the idea there is that people are having heart attacks. And they're, yeah. they're dropping dead just at the sight of what's happening. And there's distress of nations in perplexity. There's the, the, the roaring of the waves. And then I keep going back to this sentence here, but it's because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And I don't think we've ever seen that before in the history of the world. And it's going to be so obvious that even pagans, the unbelievers, will understand this is it. This is the end. The end game. It's interesting in in Acts chapter 2, you know, quoting Joel, in the latter days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So we've been living in the latter days, and you could say the last days, for 2,000 years. 
Right. And but it it it's like a snowball going downhill. It's sort of gaining momentum until until it crashes. And right. and I and I agree with you, Pastor, that this text is talking about the moment when it crashes and everything sort of explodes, blows up, whatever it does. If yep. the heavens are shaken, then we're in trouble. Yeah. Or we're not, according to, you know, if you want to look at our redemption drawing near. But then again, you have the distinction between his first coming, where he redeemed us by dying on the cross, earning forgiveness for all people of all time. But then you have this redemption drawing near, um, seeing the Son of Man coming in a cloud, I think is a big part of it. But also the fact that this this is the consummation of, of our hope. Right. And that way we're seeing it. We're seeing Jesus. He is our redemption. We're also getting freed from all the all that so easily entangles as we live out our lives here. That's right. So, so Pastor King, you're saying that's what the second part of this verse means because your redemption is drawing near. We we made the distinction between an imputed righteousness and an intrinsic righteousness a few weeks ago. And maybe that distinction is helpful for understanding what this well, verse means. It would be helpful if you explained it again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we talked about imputed righteousness being this moment when uh, Christ's righteousness is credited to us. And that's the moment of our justification. When we, so, have faith. So, when we come to faith. Yes. Yes. When we come to faith, we're forgiven, we're cleansed. That's imputed, you're saying. Yes. Yes. Sort of like declared, right? Right. Exactly. And um, our justification doesn't entail that all sin and temptation will be removed from us. So obviously Which, after our justification, we go on sinning, right? Yeah, it's too bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so even though we have Christ's imputed righteousness and his righteousness is credited to us, there's still another step that needs to take place, which is the removal, total removal of sin from our bodies. No more right? sin, no more sickness, no more sorrow. That's that's what you're talking about, right? Exactly. And that's yeah. what we mean when we say intrinsic righteousness. This yeah. righteousness that causes us not to sin. We will be like actually the angels. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, right. the, like the holy angels. Right. Not <laughs> right. not got to make sure you're talking about the right group of angels if you're going to compare yourself to the angels. Right. Otherwise, we're in trouble. So our redemption is that that removal of the consequent the consequence the consequence of our sin that's been removed. But now this will be the actual removal of the sin itself. Right, mm. right. Dang. And this is what prepares us to enter into heaven and the new earth, right? Because one of the preconditions of perfect harmony and sinlessness is that we don't sin, right? Yeah, that's what sinlessness and, means, Will. Yeah, yes, yeah exactly. Right. Exactly. And okay. so that's what this verse is referring to. Now, okay. I, I did want to ask one other thing about verse 28. So when I first read this, I got the impression that it was saying that these signs were going to give us kind of a warning to like shape up for Christ's second coming. So it says, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now that kind of makes it sound like these signs aren't going to come directly along with Christ's second coming, but they're almost going to give us like a time to react and prepare. And if we look at this, the next section, maybe we get some indication there as well. I was wondering if either of you wanted to respond to, to that. Sure. Read a little I, bit more. Go ahead, Pastor. If yeah, to I was going to say, slide. yeah, yeah if, if you can go to the second slide here, um, the second portion of the text. 
if if you look at uh, verse 34, um, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day, singular, come upon you suddenly like a trap. Um, I, I th- it would be a mistake to then think that we will see these signs and we're just going to have enough time to repent. And we're going to be able to prepare ourselves. We'll, we'll have our Bible by our side and, I don't know, figure something out. Um, the way this talks about it is this is sudden. It's a trap. I mean, it is uh, an immediate sort of thing. We're not going to have time to prepare. And it's you have to be prepared to meet this day before the day comes. Uh, you cannot prepare yourself in the moment for that day. It's it's like uh, driving a car and saying, you know, I'm not going to wear my seat belt because I don't use it 99% of the time. But once I know I'm going to get into a crash, I'll, I'll buckle up real quick. By that time, <laughs> it's too late. Right? right? You've already crashed. Yeah, that's good. Uh, that's good. The, the the parable of the ten virgins, too, speaks to that, doesn't it? Yeah. Being, yes. Being pre- preparedness. And, and, and using the word trap there. You know, if you knew what time the thief was going to break in, you all that stuff, you don't know. So be prepared. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Right. Now, when I'd read verse 34, I had all, I'd read it as saying, be prepared lest that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. So it oh. says, but watch no. yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. When, when I had read that verse, I had always thought that if you let your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness, then it will come upon you like a trap. And that's what we're being told to avoid. Hmm. Uh, yeah, because the day is coming like a trap. <laughs> yeah. the, the, that yeah. day is coming like a trap. Whether you're prepared for it or not is not going to change the fact that that day is coming in, in a snap of fingers, right? Right. So, right. B, b, yeah, no, it's an interesting point. If you're not prepared, it won't come. Like, if you are prepared, it won't come like a trap. No, it's coming like a trap for everybody. So be prepared. Yeah, gotcha. that's good. That's good point, Will. Good point. Right. So yeah, verse thirty-five continues says, uh, "Because it will come upon all who dwell in the face of the whole earth." Right. Yeah. Uh, so the exhortation is to stay awake at all times. Be right. prepared. Yeah, because it's going to come on those who are prepared and those who aren't prepared. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, I did have one other question in this text uh, regarding verse 32. Hey, Will, before we get to verse 32, um, do you mind if I go back to verse 28 quickly? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, since we were just talking about that text. So in the previous slide there, it says, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Uh, That that is a beautiful verse. I think this is one of the most amazing stunning verses uh in scripture the temptation to the christians who are alive in that moment is going to be what that is to to hang their head and to follow the way of the world and the unbeliever which is to faint with fear uh with foreboding of what's going to take place so there is um an instruction from jesus to those who would be alive in that day he says when these things when you see this you straighten up and you raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, um, I never really quite understood how this was practical uh, in my life, really. Um, 
I, I, I always was confused about this because it's obviously going to be uh, chaotic and it's going to be extremely frightening. It's going to be a horrific scene with all of creation just unfolding and falling apart when the Lord returns. I mean, there's, it's going to be chaos. And then in the midst of that, we're told to uh, lift up our heads and to have this joy and confidence in that moment. So I always was confused about this. Like, how, how do you do that? Practically speaking, how can you see the end of the world as a good thing when it's so frightening? Well, I, I always had trouble with this until I read a sermon by Luther and he had this great analogy. It was um, uh, an analogy of being in a castle and that castle being under attack. So, so the analogy is this, is that, um, you, so say that you're in a castle and uh, you're looking out of the window and you see this army coming your way and all of a sudden they start shooting cannonballs at the castle that you're in and then it hits the side of the wall and then it just, you know, the whole building shakes and there's cracks in it and, and everybody's running around screaming in fear and they don't know what's happening and uh, you would be afraid. You would be deathly afraid of what's going on unless you were in the dungeon of that castle and the army that's coming is the army of your king, right? Mm -hmm. You are a prisoner in that castle and that's your king coming to save you and break you out of that castle. Now, every single time one of those cannonballs hits the wall, uh, every time there's, there's an attack on it, that is good because that means you're going to be freed. You're going to be out of this prison and you're going to go back home. Um, th and that analogy is so beautiful that Luther gives. Uh, I, and, and this kind of changes your mentality to say, look, I don't care really that the world falls apart. Um, I, I'm not meant to stay here. Uh, and that's the, that's the line about your redemption drawing near, right? Yeah. That your, your, your king and his army, they're coming to rescue you, to take you out of this mess. Exactly. And yeah, it's going to be a bit tumultuous as, as lead hits concrete, yeah. but it's, it's the sound and sign of your deliverance. That's good. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Who was that? Luther? Who, who was Luther? Yeah. I, I think, <laughs> <laughs> um, Martin, it's one I of think his Martin. sermons. Yeah. Uh, one of his sermons on, on this text on, uh, for Advent 2, Luke 21. Okay. Um, I don't remember the year, but uh, I'll have to look it up in my notes. Yeah, I, I missed it. <laughs> it was a while ago. <laughs> so good. good. So, uh, right. Uh, so can we jump to verse 32 then uh, yeah. and take a look at that? Good point, Pastor Rahash. Thank you. Yes. So verse 32 says, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Um, I was wondering how we were to understand that. Uh, Pastor King, you and I had noted that there seemed to be some expectation in the early church that Christ's second coming would happen like imminently, like maybe in the lifetime of the apostles. And um, I was wondering, verses like this seem to kind of give that same indication. I think reading it in context, I'll just, if, unless I'm interrupting you, but verse 31. No. So, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. And then he says, truly, I see you, this generation will not pass away until all is taken place as though things are taking place. But you also have this generation 
referring to, you know, almost like a category of people. And Jesus met great resistance while he was here. And that's continued. Mm-hmm. So things are building up. They're escalating to this point of, of dissolution, if you want to use a, a gentle word. Uh, and and so that it, we, we're living that age, and it's that generation where there's conflict, there's people rejecting the Messiah. And, and now we'll see the signs as, you know, in natural things, they get worse. And not just natural things, but what people do against people. And, and that's referring to that specific time, that, hmm. genera- that generation, that, that category. And, and we can't necessarily put a, a number on what that means in respect to years. It's the whole idea of what's going on, the conflict, the rejection of the Messiah, things getting worse and worse. And, that's, and hence, so also when you see these things taking place, um, then we'll know that that generation will not, will not pass away. Does that make sense? Oh, I see. I see. Yes. It's a, t- yeah, it's yeah. a time with, with, with circumstances and people's attitudes, and, and it's just getting worse. Mm-hmm. Right? It, you know, it's, it, the anti-Christian attitude is growing and growing. Uh, Christianity as a, as a religion, as a faith, is being marginalized more and more. And that's what Jesus was facing when he walked this earth that people were rejecting him. Right. And, and hence rejecting him to the point of calling for his death. Right. So that continues, but it's now going to be accompanied by, by more rumors of war and pestilence and earthquake and famine and disease and all these bad things. It's just, it's like winding, winding a grandfather clock up too tight. It's going to, it's going to snap. Mm. You're going to break mm. the spring. Right. I don't know if that answers your question, but that that's kind of the way I look at it as a gradual. No, I, I think that's a good explanation um, that the, this generation is a certain kind of people yeah. and not a specific uh, a, a time period, right? But it's it's the people themselves. Uh, Luke uses this word generation, or in, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus uses this word generation uh, nine times, and every single time he's referring to the unbelieving uh, uh, the unbelievers, the unbelieving yeah. people. Hmm. And I think this is the connection. The people who faint with fear, who hate the Lord's appearing, uh, all of this sort of stuff, that's the generation that's not going to pass away. Meaning that we're always going to have unbelievers in our midst. We're always going to have scoffers until the last days. People are going to say, well, where's the Lord? You, you guys believe in his second coming? Where, where is he? He hasn't done anything. Well, they're going to be here just like I think it's the text in Thessalonians um, uh, talks about that, that we're, they're always going to be with us, that unbelieving generation. Um, And it's going to happen while they're still around. Until our redemption does come. Yep. As we, as we see it drawing near. Okay. Yeah. Good. And Jesus comes to free us from our sins, from the ill effects of the world, uh, from the accusations of the devil. The coming one comes to free us and set us free, like you talked about the person in the dungeon in, in the castle. The king's yeah, coming right. with his army to set us free. That's all good news for us, and it may be tumultuous, but but we he will give us the strength to deal with it. Lift up your heads. Rejoice. It's a it's good news for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. What, what's, what's beautiful here is also verse 33, when it continues, heaven and earth will pass away, right? This connects to the heavens being shaken and the earth falling apart. These things will pass away, 
but my words will never pass away. In the Greek, it's uh, me, uh, which is emphatic, the, the, the negative there. It, it just, they will never pass away. Um, which means also you and I will never pass away because we have his word. Uh, we'll live forever and we, we will survive this. That's, that's the point here. And I think that the great hope in all of this is that because this day is coming and is, uh, it's going to be so frightening and yet the practical expo- uh, 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 application for us today in this moment is that if Jesus tells us we don't have to be afraid of this day, the very last day of the world, the worst day in all of history, then we don't need to be afraid of any day, um, no Good matter point. what it is. No matter what it is. And here, but my words will not pass away. He's not just speaking about the words about the end times. He's speaking generally about his words. Mm. Right. They, they will not like, whether it's about this topic or about another topic, his, his word endures forever. And yeah. that's the word that God uses to give us faith. Right. And, and comfort and comfort. So the worst day ends up being the best day. Yep. Yeah. Right. Which and, is God turns things on, on their heads. Right. Yeah. And that's really the main point here, right? The, the point isn't that we ought to be looking for these signs in the heavens to try to predict when Christ is go- going to come again. That's not the main point of this. The point is to offer us a message of hope in the face of what will be a terrifying time when Christ comes by earthly standards, but still give us that assurance that uh, even though from a worldly perspective, it'll be terrifying, uh, our salvation is being secured in that last moment. Yeah. And that's the hope that we uh, we live in, right? Yeah. Good. Can, can I read a verse from from a hymn? Uh, sure. That yeah. Kind of summarizes everything we did and will put us out of business. Yeah, basically. we 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 allow <laughs> hymns. Yeah, it's all good. Okay. All right. <laughs> so th- this is hymn three thirty four. Uh, oh Lord, how shall I meet you? By Paul Gerhard. Uh, this is the final verse, and, and I this summarizes this perfectly that the the very worst day in the history of the world is, in fact, our best day. Uh, Verse 6 says, He comes to judge the nations, a terror to his foes, a light of consolations and blessed hope to those who love the Lord's appearing. O glorious sun, now come. Send forth your beams so cheering and guide us safely home. Right, so that this one event... Uh, produces two different reactions. One, it, it's fear in the world, but in us, it is hope and joy. Um, and it's still just one event. Good. That's, that's great. That's probably a great place to wrap up, if that makes sense to you too. Yeah. I mean, I can keep going, but we'll, well, no. <laughs> we can wrap up. Yeah, I can just hit the end button, no problem. <laughs> it, uh, but you, you end us on uh, a note of hope and joy. Yeah. Which is good. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Good. Will, then do you have um, a prayer to wrap us up this evening? Yeah, we'll use the collect from Aramos for Advent 2 for today. Okay, then we pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, by your Son you have revealed to us that heaven and earth shall pass away, that our bodies shall rise again, and that we all shall appear before the judgment seat. We beseech you to keep us in your word by your Holy Spirit, establish us in true faith, graciously defend us from sin, and preserve us in all temptations, that our heart may not be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, 
but that we may always watch and pray, and trusting fully in your grace, await with joy the glorious coming of your Son, and at last obtain eternal salvation. Through the same, your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.